Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. And Father, we ask that you um, give discernment and wisdom today in the times to come so that we may cooperate with you and see your sovereignty um, in judging the world and uh, teaching us how to escape this judgment by coming out from among them We thank you for these things, Father, in the name of Jesus. Okay, we're going to study anarchy, civil war, and destruction coming. First revelation we called uh, the eagle devours itself. And this was given to Missy Pollock, 3-16-23. I dreamed it was daytime. In this dream, daytime represents that the powers that be, I believe, are no longer trying to hide their evil deeds. Uh, The uncivil war becomes overt. In other words, it's in the light. It's being seen. I saw two uh, paratroopers, she said, uh, dressed in camouflage uniforms, falling through the sky. And they hadn't pulled their ripcords yet, uh, which means they're falling to earth. <laughs> we don't know if they did pull them ultimately, but it goes. But I would say that these two camouflage paratroopers represent the two factions in the military of the Alliance and the Deep State Beast, um, who are warring overtly at the moment. Yes, it's being seen more and more. It's been hidden less and less. Okay? The uh, type in history that is being repeated is uh, Babylon Deep State is falling to the Medo-Persian Alliance Empire. And um, the military in the U.S. is split between these two, which is the perfect scenario for a civil war. The paratrooper on the right shot the other paratrooper on the left with a rifle in the stomach. Well, the right wing of the eagle is defeating the left wing. Um, The paratrooper on the left that was shot was surprised and said to those in command via some kind of communication device, I've been shot. And uh, then I woke up. Well, at this time, the right wing is shooting the left wing soldiers. Be they military or not, they're all soldiers of the left wing. Um, She said, I was reading up a little on paratroopers, and they are used strategically to drop forces behind enemy lines 
and to quickly get boots on the ground where needed. Well, let me say that at this point, this is a covert war, so it's all behind enemy lines. It's becoming more and more overt. And uh, I believe it's about to spill out pretty drastically on the surface, so... These were my verses I received by faith at random for the morning meeting that the Lord told me to go with the dream. I got these verses the night before I had the dream. Daniel 11 and 4, in context 1 through 4. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. The Medes, as you know, are those that are conquering Babylon today. And now will I show thee the truth. Behold, there shall stand up yet three kings in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than they all. And when he is waxed strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Greece. And, of course, Greece was the, uh, was the empire of Alexander the Great. And a mighty king shall stand up that shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And when he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken and shall be divided towards the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity, for nor according to his dominion wherewith he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up even for others besides these. Well, in general, this is a rundown of the uh, empires that are being repeated in our day on, of course, a much shorter uh, time period. Uh, in general, Babylon was conquered by Media Persia, which was conquered by Greece. Um, and we're going down that timeline. Right now, we're in the midst of Media Persia conquering Babylon. I have to say, though, that it's going to be very expensive, uh, but the Lord is going to use this to take down people He wants to bring down. And sometimes just take home people that don't need to go through anymore. So, <clears throat> so I'm going to share this with you. This is We called it the Division of America at Election Time. This was given to Ken Dewey for 2023. <laughs> What I hear, in other words, from the Lord, is that the elections will not satisfactorily happen in 2024, and when they do not, there will be a great exodus from Washington, D.C., and they will start another government over the true America somewhere in the South. Well, what we're hearing is that after Nassara Jassara is declared, there must be an election within 120 days for the new Republic of the United States. In other words, USA Incorporated is defunct. And this would make uh, his statement above about of the election in 2024 correct, uh, for it would not come to pass. And... Um, and that's a good thing because we're not we're not needing an election for USA Incorporated. Years ago I heard that there would be a great division in this land and a huge civil war. 
Yes, we've heard that for many years. And um, actually, we've had many dreams on it, on our site, you know, and so on. This, in part, has already begun, but things will get worse until the end of present things. Years ago, I heard the Lord say, if America does not repent of abortion, he would smash this nation to pieces. We have seen the revelations of it being smashed to pieces. Um, that, in part, has already begun to happen. Yes, there are fractures and there are movements of the plates and they're all getting prepared. And the deep state has prepared uh, for there to crack this nation apart. So, <clears throat> and he said it's already begun to happen. And I heard him say he is greatly concerned about the morality in America. Well, for sure. And years ago, I also heard the Lord say the South will rise again. But this time, when they do, they will not be fighting to keep slaves, but will be fighting against becoming slaves. Well, we can see the beginnings of that, too. This, uh, in part, has already happened. Um, today, we see many southern states or states identifying as such becoming bolder and making great changes from the present administration, the deep state, and the deep state. If you will take note of this one fact, our rightful president, who was refused office by a dishonest vote, has moved to Florida. Mm -hmm. And there's, of course, saying that the White House will be down there. Maybe so, or maybe in Texas. So if you will uh, note, there is strong leadership also in Florida. But one only needs to read the news to see there is great leadership coming out of Texas and other southern states. Years ago, I heard the Lord say the government will fall down so hard in Washington, D.C. that the government will have to be rebuilt. Well, this has happened. There, there is no government in Washington, D.C. People that drive through there see the building shut down, see the locks on the doors, they see there's nothing there. We've had a fake government on a movie set. Yeah. So, and, of course, this plan is doomed, obviously, but it is showing people an awful lot about what happens when communists come into power. Well, there is no government in Washington, D.C. now, and all the previous buildings have been closed down. So I heard him say that uh, new leaders would rise up in Texas and the South. And I hear him say today, uh, men will not continue to be forced to live by the present social and global leaders in this nation. Enough is enough. Well, we know the deep state is falling. Again, it's going to be costly because the deep state is going to be used to judge apostate Christianity and the factions. The Lord told us that he was going to use this. So, I hear reports already happening and spoken about um, whole states and even parts of states seceding from the United States of America and uh, becoming sovereign within themselves. Uh, the rustling of this move is already in the air. 
I personally hear the Lord say that to vote this time will not even count. Men must do more than vote. What I have not heard for sure is who may be the true American president after 2024. Well, it is possible that Trump will go into the presidency before 2024 election, since many states have decertified the vote from 2020. And uh, I think it's very possible. But already there are very capable men rising to this task. When the American people are forced beyond what they are able to bear, they will elect a true president. Mm-hmm. That president could very well be ex-president Trump. Well, personally, I don't think Trump ever <laughs> stepped down from the presidency, but that will be proven pretty quickly here. He certainly is one who is leading out, and who the new American government will elect as president will be yet decided. But one thing I hear is that it is very likely it will not be in Washington, D.C. It will not be, yeah. Um, I hear that God will not force men in America to serve him, but when they reject him, the Lord will simply reject them. And even as it says in Romans that when they did not like to even retain the knowledge of God, then God gave them up to live as they please. And the Lord simply pulled back and watched them, awaiting their final judgment. And someday, of course, uh, history is repeating itself. One thing for sure I hear today is that God will never forsake His people in this nation and anywhere else. God will forever lead them into a greater life with Him. This is true. As we come out of the world, as we come out of Babylon, uh, we are escaping her judgments. I hear the greater life is coming for people in America who, who love God and choose Him. And I hear that God will fight for them to protect them. Yes, we've heard the same exact things. I mean, that uh, first fruits is going to be the bride, the David man child at the, the helm in uh, Jerusalem, which is said to be the bride in the Scriptures. And uh, so God's raising that up, and people are going to go that way. They're going to go for this new leadership that God is raising up, and He will prove it. I have written this word as led to speak, and I have only said what I have heard uh, said to me. The thoughts here are led by the Holy Spirit. And he gives Romans one twenty-eight through 32. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind or a reprobate mind to do those things which are not fitting being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. And by the way, the Lord has told us He's going to judge the apostate churches because of their corruption in departing from His Word completely. And uh, He's going to judge the faction because they fit all of this description. 
They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, uh, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. In other words, they know all of what we're talking about, and they're still going to do it. They are totally given over to reprobation and demons. Okay, this one we called Blood on the U.S. Flag. It's a Michael Boldia Jr. revelation on October of 2003. And their organization is called the Hand of Help, handofhelp.com. In early January, our ministry was notified by a supporter in Florida that as her husband was looking at the 2004 Marine calendar February page, he noticed a Marine standing by the flag. And at that moment, he saw in a vision the flag drip with blood. There is great signification to the dream Michael was given, and we know before God allows Uh, judgments or warnings, he always warns, and God always prepares his people. Well, Psalm 32, 6 through 7, For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray unto you in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. It was October the 11th, and during the night I had a dream, and I dreamed I was kneeling by my bedside praying when I felt a presence behind me. I turned, and a man was standing there dressed in white. His hands clasped in front of him. It was the same man I had seen in a dream sometime earlier. Quote, why didn't you say something if you were standing there, unquote, I asked. And the answer was, I would never interrupt your communion with the Father. He answered, it was a precious thing. Take my hand, I must show you something. I took his hand and suddenly we were standing in front of the U.S. Marine War Memorial. It is a statue depicting a group of soldiers raising the American flag on two Iwo Jima in World War II. Uh, I looked to the man standing on my right, but he pointed towards the statue and said, Look at the flag. As I was watching the flag flap in the wind, a red spot appeared in its center. It began to grow and spread, turning the flag red as it went. It was like someone had spilled this red liquid in the flag's center, and it was absorbing it. The stain continued to grow. I watched as the entire flag became saturated until it finally started to drip. I believe this is the Civil War, the larger Civil War. 
To my surprise, I realized that the liquid dripping from the flag was blood. And what is uh, this supposed to mean? I asked the man. The leaders of this nation, he said, have war on their hearts and on their lips, and soon they will have blood on their hands. The banner of war is upon this land, the man answered solemnly. Let me say that um, America has followed the deep state into uh, wars, and there's a lot of blood on American hands because of that. But we're leading to this civil war, you see. What you do in other nations comes around. Uh, what you sow, you reap. So the deep state eugenicists uh, would love to kill as many people on the planet as possible and uh, profit them uh, profit from their schemes and tactics all at the same time. Before I could ask anything more, I found myself sitting up in the bed in a cold sweat. I shared this dream with a friend that Sunday night as I happened to be speaking in his church in Topeka. I also shared it with uh, Gino and the rest of the staff, here at the Hand of Help office. But in my heart, I decided not to make it public until after the holidays. Then three weeks after this dream, I had another. I dreamed the same man was standing by my bedside, but he was no longer dressed in white. Over his robe, he had a breastplate, and as he stood, I could see the handle of his sword protruding from behind his right shoulder. It was the fiercest image I had ever seen in my life, but I, I was not afraid. Kindness still showed in his eyes, and I knew he meant me no harm. As I looked up at him, uh, the one thing that struck me was that his breastplate was not shiny. For some reason, I had I had expected it to shine rather than uh, it was uh, dented and scarred and uh, looked as though it had been uh, in much battle. He looked down at me with what I could only describe as a disappointment in his eyes. Before I could speak, he said, For a vessel to fulfill its task, substance must be poured into it. Then that same substance must be poured out. If it is uh, never poured out, it will overflow, being of use to no one. Do you understand? I nodded half-heartedly as though I knew what he was trying to tell me. He went on, When a vessel is chosen, it is an honor, he continued. Be faithful in completing your task and share what is given to you without delay. Come, I will show you once more. Once again we stood before the monument and the same scene played out. When will this happen, I asked, before he could turn away. When the Father wills it, he answered, his will be done. Can't you ask him? I asked, realizing only after the words had left my mouth 
how infantile the question had been. And he said, You speak of the things your mind cannot comprehend. You speak of time concerning the one to whom centuries are no more than a blink of an eye. Be diligent in what you have been shown, and uh, more will be revealed. All things proceed as he ordains. That is all you are given to know for now. Yep, it's a need-to-know thing with God, um, and sometimes we just can't even drag more out of him because it's not the right time, right? So what I do know is whether uh, in retaliation for a certain action or as a preemptive measure, this nation will set out on a course that will eventually be the cause of innocents losing their lives. Well, as I said, um, this is already, we've already been in these wars even since the time he spoke this, and it's brought a lot of death and destruction to other nations. But now... um, It's going to come to this nation because that's what happens when you sow, you reap. So this nation will be perceived as having blood on its hands, he says, and it will stir the emotions of the world against it. I pray with all my heart this does not occur that all who are denoting peace and safety for generations to come come are right and I am wrong. Well, uh, he's not wrong. The, the Bible prophesies a no peace until Jesus returns at his second coming and at the end of the tribulation. And there is no peace to the wicked, saith the Lord. The wicked must be dealt with. And people must repent. And to, for that to happen, there has to be chastening, right, for people to repent. And it goes on, regardless of what some may think, I do not want to see the judgment of God fall on this land, but the path that we have chosen as a nation is leading us to it. Yes, I agree. More than ever, I urge you to pray for this nation and its leaders because it is our duty as children of God to do so. May he who ordains all things be with you and guide you, knowing that in him there is perfect safety and perfect peace. This is true. So, now we come to a very interesting revelation. Some of you probably already read this before. Uh, we call it the eagle and the serpents. Our Michael Boldia, Jr., got this on October the 15th, 2004. This is the message God gave Michael Boldia through a dream while he was in North Carolina. He asked for a confirmation of this message and asked God to simply to give him the dream again if it was from him. And the next night, he had the same dream. He said, I dreamt I was walking through a sparsely wooded forest, and suddenly my attention was drawn to an eagle flying high above the tree line. It was a beautiful sight to behold as the eagle rode the thermals, flying in slow, lazy arcs across the blue sky. I began to quicken my pace and keep up with the eagle's flight, all the while keeping an eye on it, noticing that it was slowly descending towards the earth. 
I followed it for a long time, its descent not being sudden but very gradual. Well, the U.S. is falling away more and more from what a heavenly position would um, would dictate, right? And finally, I came upon a small clearing where there were no trees, just some bushes on the edges of the green grass. The eagle landed in the clearing and began to look around, not seeming to notice me. As I began to wonder what the relevance of this was, a man dressed in white, hands clasped in front of him, appeared beside me and said, Be patient, in due time you will see the purpose. I was silent as I watched the eagle and was beginning to grow somewhat impatient when suddenly it seemed out of nowhere a brown snake lunged at the eagle and bit down on its left wing. Well, let me say the uh, brown uh, Nazi snake from Operation Paperclip that was brought into this country and invaded this country with, uh, of course, their demons and uh, destroyed the left wing. So I see this as having happened through that. The snake's strike was very quick and very precise. The eagle reacted without delay, clawing and pecking at the snake, cutting deep wounds in its underbelly trying to defend itself and ward off the serpent. Just as it seemed the eagle was winning the battle and the serpent was retreating, another serpent appeared. Red and black diagonal stripes covering its body. Well, we know that red and black are the colors of anarchy. And anarchy means just rebellion against uh, authority, rebellion against uh, uh, truth, rebellion against law, you know. The deep state has many anarchists to begin their overt civil war. And without hesitation, the uh, it's, this snake struck out at the eagle's right wing biting down and refusing to release. Okay, I believe that the Alliance is expecting this and is planning martial law to be able to destroy the anarchists. Okay, in other words, if they have martial law, they have a freedom to move uh, outside of any law uh, other than their own, right? Uh and we've heard them say that they are ready to kill these people when they appear. And, of course, uh, the deep state plans to send these these uh, shock troops out there. And they're from many different quarters. Um, and uh, the war will be well known by then. And after a momentary tug of war, the serpent tore off flesh and feathers leaving a large wound on the eagle's right wing. Yep, so the right wing is not going to totally get away with what they think, you know, uh, it is going to be tough. Eventually, the right wing of the U.S. government, uh, represented by the Trump White Hats, 
will be wounded. The second bite was much worse than the first, and for an instant the eagle was stunned. Then a serpent much larger than the previous two, made up of many colors, slithered towards the eagle, opened its jaws, and lunged, taking the whole of the eagle's head in its mouth before biting down. I think this is the final um, one world order beast of Revelation 13 represented by Alexander the Great, thought by some, and it is possible that the Lord has shown us this too, uh, to be Obama. Um, I'm going to say that they believe that they killed Obama. The military does, but I believe it probably was a clone that they killed. So anyway, the serpents retreated, and the man who had been standing beside me walked to the eagle, knelt down, and picked it up, and held it in his cupped hands. The look of grief on his face was beyond any I have seen in my life. Just seeing the look on the man's face broke your heart. Well, I want to say that I do believe that the um, the work of Cyrus is uh, to conquer Babylon. And I can tell you right now, it's pretty well done. Not the guerrilla warfare that they're going to continue to do, but Babylon as a political entity, I believe, is just about over. We shall see. The man continued to look down at the eagle and with a pained voice said, The true tragedy is that at any moment it could have sought the safety of the above. It could have soared towards the heavens and would have found its protection. Well, you know, the, the sad thing about it is there are so many Christians involved in this thing and a whole lot of other people that are just moralizers but don't know God at all. Um, and they're not doing anything to turn this country towards God. Uh, it's all political. And it's all uh, patriotic. And that is so dangerous, you know, uh, because God will not share his glory with another. And so um, the the complete and perfect victory that they think they're going to have, um, I don't believe will happen. I do believe they're going to set up a new economy. And I do believe it will profit the church in the short run. But I also believe it's all headed towards civil war. Okay, Second Chronicles 7 and 14. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Does it look like it's going to happen? Well, no. Um, this has been revealed to you that you may know. The man said, the first bite has been, the second is yet to come, and the third will be its destruction. So, well, this dream was in 2004, and since then the Nazis have taken over the left wing, 
And uh, you don't bring in a bunch of totally demon-possessed Satanists into your government unless you want it to get infected. And it was. And we're about to witness the second bite of uh, the anarchist Civil War snake. We just passed uh, the 248th anniversary of the shot heard round the world on April the 20th that began the Revolutionary War. So what did we in that time enter into? A repeat of history, a Revolutionary War. I watched for a long time as the man held the eagle in his in the palms of his hands, and the pained expression never leaving his features. I was too stunned to speak or ask any questions. What I had seen, having seen, so seemed so real. And um, and then, of course, I woke up. Well, it's a sad thing. Um, but there must be a death in order for resurrections to come, right? Um, this next one we're going to call Worldwide Rebellion Released. Claire Pinar, three twenty-six twenty-three. I dreamed I was sitting in a white lounge. The white lounge represents purity and resting in our continual Sabbath rest. Uh, I was sitting with my dad's twin sister. The dad's twin sister represents those who have the same nature and character of the father. Right? My mother-in-law, underline in-law here, my mother-in-law and her children used to stay in this house, but they were no longer living there, although some of their belongings were still there. Well, the legalistic apostates and uh, their children uh, will be separated from the true house of God that require sanctification and rest from our works. Galatians 5 and 4 says, "You You are severed from Christ, ye who would be justified by the law. You are fallen away from grace. Now, let me say, uh, as I have proven here in this program before, um, law and the law are two different things. Uh, There are many people under law, under law to men. And there's, of course, those who are under law to the old covenant. It's an old covenant because it passed away as as a covenant. Uh, There's still a lot of morality there that's true, but uh, it still passed away as a covenant and as a law. Um, and it, it says, if you seek to be justified by the law, you are fallen away from grace here. Galatians 5 and 4. I saw the DVD case of a rock band's concert tour that my older brother-in-law, there's that in-law again, had gone to uh, with his young son. The DVD case was red and black. Okay. And it said, Rebellion World Tour on it. Rebellion World Tour. So red and black are the colors of anarchy, which is rebellion against the established authority 
Uh, the deep state plans to disrupt the D class uh, on TVs uh, of all their criminal activity with anarchy uh, during the 10 days of darkness. And uh, that's when they say they're going to overshoot uh, all of the media with the emergency broadcast, and uh, they're going to publish abroad uh, what they call the D-Class for days. They're going to do this. And they're going to have martial law so people are at home and watching this, right? That's the plan. My aunt turned on the DVD player, and as it came on the TV, I felt a hot wave emanate from the TV all over the world, and I knew a spirit of rebellion had been unleashed. Well, yes, witchcraft and rebellion have been released across the world in pockets, and it will increase and become even worse as we head into the seven-year tribulation. Uh, and as I've said, this D-class that's going to be going forth in the, what they call the ten days of darkness, which is them uh, blacking out uh, what you would normally see on TV with the EBS, and, so, uh, and what you would normally uh, get on your phone. Um, uh, it'll black that out too, and they would give you messages over your phone. Uh, of course, emergency um, st- things would still be functional. Um, so the Lord has told us that he will use the deep state war to bring down apostates and factious people. And uh, I have no doubt that they're planning, well, I, I understand that they have already released plagues. Uh, They were in the vaccine waiting to be released by the 5G towers. Okay, they're already in there. So um, it'll be an easy thing for them to do. 2 Timothy 3, 1-9 says, But know this, that in the last days grievous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, haughty, railers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, implacable, slanderers, without self-control, fierce, no lovers of good, traitors, headstrong, puffed up, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding a form of godliness, but having denied the power thereof. In other words, they don't believe uh, that Salvation uh, in itself destroys evil and sin. They believe you just live that way and uh, you're forgiven, which is, of course, baloney. From these also turn away, for of, of these are they that creep into houses and take captive silly women laden with sins, led away by divers' lusts, and ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And even as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also withstand the truth. Men corrupted in mind, reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be evident unto all men, as theirs also came to be. The men were hard rock or death metal people with long hair, 
and some were dressed up as wizards. Others were only dressed in black and gray. As they started singing, I saw them speak out curses. Well, could this represent the uh, mainstream media witches with their mass propaganda campaigns to hypnotize and brainwash the masses? And also the witches have all aligned with the left wing and send forth curses against the right wing and its leaders. And i got to tell you, I'm seeing that the right wing is in a fog concerning this. They don't understand how, they know how to fight a physical war and do physical things and follow their AI computer to, to do this war, but they don't understand that the spiritual realm overrules the physical realm, including computers. So they really, the only way they've got to fight this war is through Christ. And they're not doing that. So um, this uh, supernatural left-wing uh, witches movement and Satanist movement is um, tougher than they know. And uh, we know there's only one way to fight with that. And um, it's with the principalities and powers and the rulers of this darkness. Okay, this is uh, Marie Kelton's revelation, Slaying the Dragon, 2-17-23. I had a dream of being in a stairwell, and I was at the top of the stairs, and at the bottom was a huge black dragon that was blocking me from leaving. His eyes were yellow with black pupils, and the dragon, which is Satan in the Bible, Revelation 12, was staring at me menacingly. I became afraid and was going to run into a room that was next to the stairs to my left. But then I heard a voice say, He is a defeated foe. <laughs> Something that we know. and But you have to proclaim it by faith, right? And uh, men's works will not defeat him, but God's people can. They are the ones at war with him in Revelation 12, and he's cast down to the earth. I then had the courage to run down the stairs with my sword, and, and I slew the dragon, which was easier than I thought, because all I did was cut off it, his tail. <laughs> Well, I believe this is representing, uh, and she said, too, that this represents false prophets of the mainstream media and apostates. Isaiah 9 and 15, uh, the elder and the honorable man, he is the head, and the prophet that teacheth lies, he is the tail. Yes, they are a part of the dragon. And uh, if you take away the Mainstream media, well, I don't think you're going to see much of a problem uh, bringing down Babylon because they're going, people are going to start hearing the truth. They're about to bring down their satellites and prosecute them. That's what I've heard. The uh, alliance will own the media for a, a short time. Um, 
and a world civil war will be raised up. Because uh, when this happens and they begin uh, revealing uh, their sins, that you can bet they're going to come out of every place. And the deep state is a huge uh, group of people. It's evident that um, though the deep state will lose, it will greatly damage the alliance and will make way for that Grecian Antichrist empire to fill the void. And everything will change. And we've seen some evidence that Obama's clone was killed and he escapes to fulfill the type of Alexander the Great in the uh, next beast kingdom represented by Greece. Okay. And that's the end time Antichrist kingdom, right? Marie went on to say, I was celebrating joyfully as I was going down the second flight of stairs, leaving the place I was in. And then I saw a white cloth or a shirt with streaks of blood on it. And then I woke up. Yep, there will be even some martyrs going through all this time. And um, But the Lord is going to spare His people, especially His bride, which we've seen in many ways and many revelations through all of this time. This is given to Debbie Finsky, uh, The Violent Take It By Force, October of 2022. I remember on our Zoom meeting concerning someone's scripture, David said, we have to be violent in our warfare against the enemy. Yes, and this is in the spiritual realm, not the flesh, right? This reminded me of 1 Samuel 15, where Samuel rebuked Saul for disobeying God for not killing Agag, the king of the Amalekites, but brought him back with some sheep that he also was commanded to kill. So after all that took place between them, Saul went back with Samuel to worship the Lord. Then Samuel had Agag uh, brought to him, and Samuel cut him into pieces. So, even before this dream began, I knew in my subconscious that I was going to be shown something. I dreamed I saw myself wearing a red jacket, standing way up high in the sky on a very large white platform of hard rock. Well, the red jacket, I believe, represents being covered by the uh, sacrificial blood of Jesus and being up in heavenly places in Him, and uh, being founded on the rock, which is the Bible, uh, the Word of God, and represents Jesus Christ. She said, I saw some of the white base that was supporting the platform extending down, and all around me was the dark, bluish-black night, Sky filled with so many stars, and when I looked way down, all I could see were tiny lights far and wide. Then I turned and I saw a man near the front of this platform. He was wearing a blue suit jacket. This man was violently hacking at something or someone. He would not stop, and his jacket was flapping hard against his body 
as he kept on doing this. And as I was looking at this man, his bill reminded me of President Trump's. Well, President Trump is known for his uh, violent warfare against the enemies of the people. And what we have seen is that what President Trump is in the natural world, the man-child is in the spiritual world. We have been shown a parallel, okay? Then I noticed that he was wearing a red tie. Yep, that sounds like him. That was loose and flying in the air as he kept doing this violent hacking. And then I woke up. And she said, I believe God was showing me how we should always be ready to do this violent warfare. Look, if we don't do it, it won't get done. As I say, they know nothing about the spirit realm. They only know the physical realm. They couldn't win this battle. And so many Christians don't know about the spiritual realm either. And they don't know anything about spiritual warfare. So it's left to a few, literally a few, to do this. And that's the only reason this thing has lasted as long as it has, or that they have had the success against the deep state that they've had, is the few. So this dream is showing us how we have that authority. We must keep our feet standing on the solid rock of Christ and the Word, knowing that we are made righteous through our faith in the blood of Jesus, who is our righteousness. And if we are keeping our mind in heavenly places and not forgetting As we look at the world around us, we have the authority to violently come against all the spiritual wickedness in high places and over Satan, the prince of darkness himself. It must be a second nature to be ready to go immediately into spiritual warfare and not to be complacent about it, but forceful and violent, knowing that the weapons of spiritual warfare are ours. They are powerful and mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And this revelation uh, was given to Tiana Fire for 1923. Our authority in his name. I was in the half awake, half asleep state, and I saw and experienced how everything in this world and all unclean spirits were literally under me or Uh, Jesus in me, and uh, we are high above it all spiritually. Nothing can compare to pure, holy name of Jesus. Luke 10 and 17 says, Now the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject unto us in thy name. Amen. I saw clearer than ever that I am a child of the Creator of everything, and Jesus is living in me completely, and that how Jesus in me has all power and authority over everything. First John 4 and 4, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is the one in you than the one in the world. So I saw this all so clear in full, 100%, without any doubt, unbelief, or hindrance. I saw it more true and real than anything I've ever experienced. Although I believe all of this is true and uh, speak and confess the Word, I don't always manifest it yet. 
This is the only time I have felt or experienced it fully. But in this experience, I was fully manifesting it, and it was so awesome and so real beyond any words to properly describe it. I saw that absolutely nothing evil can touch me, and with one word or with just a thought, the sick were healed, the devils fled, and they knew it's Christ in me. And when in this state I knew that the spirits and creation knew that it was Jesus in me, in all of his power and authority, and they knew there was nothing that they could do. So awesome power is in the name of Jesus. Amen. Be in that name. And when awake, I normally battle doubt and not knowing my identity in Christ. And this hinders his power flowing through me. The devil knows this and is always trying to get us to doubt. But in this experience, there was no doubt. It was like I could see through all the lies, deception, and carnality, and I could see all truth. Everything felt so real, and it was more awesome than any words can say. The unclean spirits I saw just looked at me, and they knew it was Jesus, so they didn't even bother doing anything. With just a thought, they were stopped and they couldn't do anything without Jesus giving them the green light. It felt like it was uh, the Word, and Jesus fully manifested in me. There was no flesh left, nothing blocking, nothing blocking Jesus from uh, manifesting. So this vision or experience represents a glimpse of a time when we will have overcome through Jesus uh, the man-child in us. Okay. It was disappointing when I fully woke up and the experience faded away, but I believe for God's grace uh, for all of us and for Him to manifest Himself fully through us all. And I pray for us to all be completely dead to everything unholy and everything that hinders us spiritually. Well, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father, for this revelation. Thank you that we uh, have been given this authority and soon will be in that kind of a battle. And we praise and we give thanks unto you, Lord. Um, we know that you have ordained uh, these consecutive kingdoms coming to power. Uh, and we know that all of this is going to return the fear of the Lord to those you love. And, uh, and that, uh, they will learn to do, to live in the wilderness and to do the works of the kingdom. Amen. Well, all right, saints. God bless you and keep you. Uh, Michael Hare is going to come and share with you. And, uh, Father, please bless him and bless all those that are with him and, uh, and, uh, studying and, um, growing in the word. Amen. All right. Good night. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. Good to be back with you again. Let's go to the Lord. Father God, I just praise you, and I glorify you, and I thank you, Father, for this walk that you've got us all in. And I thank you, Lord, that you have provided a way for us to speak 
the things of you, and we speak as an oracle of you from the word of God. And when we do that, confess what we need that we shall have them. And I thank you, Father, for anointing us today to talk about the power of the words that we speak and how they affect us either negatively or in a positive way. And I praise you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. That's what I want to talk about. I want to continue on with the power of our words. You know, success can follow confession. We walk in the light of our testimony, and the word becomes real only as we confess its reality. Satan fears our testimony. If you confess something with your mouth, it reacts upon your heart or or your spirit. We confess what we are in Christ, and then we act our confession. And if we confess our fears, that's what's going to rule you. And if we confess the dominion of disease, it asserts its lordship over our bodies uh, even more so. And if we confess our freedom that the Son of God has made us free, God makes that confession a reality. And when we realize that Jesus met the feet and he conquered it, and we dare to make that confession, Defeat and failure lose their dominance or their dominion over us. Thinking faith thoughts and speaking faith words leads the heart out of defeat into victory. Glory to God. And when we confess his word, he watches over it to make it good. But there's no action on the part of God without our confession. Because Christianity is called the great confession. Hebrews 3 and 1 says, Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, even Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14 said, Having then a great high priest who hath passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Well, what's that confession that we're supposed to hold fast to? That in him we have a perfect redemption. Colossians 1, 13 to 14 says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. That redemption never becomes a reality until we confess it. Very few people seem to grasp this fact. In the face of apparent defeat, we confess our redemption and deliverance, and it becomes a reality. We don't ask for redemption. We thank him for it. That redemption was brought about according to 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that ye were redeemed, not with corruptible things, with silver or gold, from your vain manner of life, handed down from your fathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot, even the blood of Christ. Folks, this ain't a promise. It's a fact. We confess that we are new creations created in Christ Jesus. Listen to Ephesians 2 and 10. 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We confess Second Corinthians 5 and 17. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And we know that we are not only redeemed and made new creations, but also that we are reconciled. We dare confess it before the whole world. We confess our redemption from the hand of Satan, that he is unable to put disease upon us and hold us in bondage. Glory to God. Listen to what Revelation 12 and 11 says. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Now that word there, the word here is Logos. They overcame the adversary because of the blood of the Lamb and the word that was in their testimony. They rested on the integrity of the word. And they dared to confess that what God said was true. Romans 4.25 who was delivered up for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. Romans 5 and 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we boldly confess that this is true right now. We are now the righteousness of God in Christ, and we declare this before the world. We dare confess that God himself has become our righteousness. Romans chapter 3, 26. And by the new birth and the spirit, we have been made the very righteousness of God in him. Second Corinthians 5, 41 says, Him who knew no sin, he made to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's God's own declaration of what we are now. Not what we want to be, but what God has made us to be. We are healed, declares this, 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. The work's already done. It's not a problem of getting our healing, nor a problem of faith. It is a problem of the integrity of the word of God. Can you depend upon that word? What does Jeremiah 1.12 say? He said, I watch over my word to perform it. Our confession has to be a confession of the absolute faithfulness of the word of God and of his finished work and of the reality of our relationship as sons and daughters. Because our our words determine our faith. Our words are our confession. And if I continually confess lack, then I believe in lack. My confession surely becomes a reality. And I confess the things that I believe. And if I believe in failure and weakness, I'll confess it. I'll live up to the standard of my confession. And if I confess that Psalm 3410 is true, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. And if I stand by my confession, 
God's going to make sure that I get all that I have confessed. Glory to God. Psalms 84, 11, and 12 says, No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusts in thee. And I confess Proverbs chapter 3 and 5, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Folks, that's guidance. Not only is it delivered from conditions, but it is a guidance into his will, into the paths of plenty. And the confession of my heart is Philippians chapter 4 and 19. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Glory to God. What a confession that is. Folks, the heart is strong with that confession. Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. So God is under obligation to stand by and to care for his own. He ain't going to fail us. Psalm 118 and 6 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? Isaiah 41, 10 says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. That's God's challenge. And I will confess it before the world. And what a confession that makes. Because God says to me personally, don't be afraid. He said, I'm going to be with you. And don't be dismayed because I am your God. He was Israel's God. You remember what happened to Pharaoh and Egypt and the Philistines? You remember what happened to all the nations that laid their hands upon Israel while they were keeping the covenant? First Chronicles 16.22 says, Touch not mine anointed. He's going to take care of us just like he took care of them. And he's going to be our protector and caretaker. He already is. We just need to confess it. Jesus said that faith would win. Faith has won. We are witnesses of this tremendous reality already. You know, the Bible is God's confession. And the more we read it, the more the great truth of this overshadows everything from Genesis to Revelation. It is a continual confession of his greatness, of his ability, of his love, and his great Father's heart. And if you look at Jesus in the four Gospels, He is always continually making confession. He is the great shepherd. He is the light of the world. John 10, 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John 8 and 12, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And he said in John 14 and 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Then he says in John eleven twenty five, 
I am the resurrection and the life. Then John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Folks, those are great confessions. John 10.29, my father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Jesus' confession led him straight to Calvary. John 5 and 18, therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but he said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. You know, the fearless confessions of men down through the ages have given us all of these martyrs. Faith gives courage to confession, and confession gives boldness to faith. And your confession lines you up and gives you your place, establishes your position. And we know what you are. If you are silent, we can't place you. Now, confession either heals or confession keeps you sick. And by your confession, you are saved or lost. And by your confession, you have plenty or you lack. And by your confession, you are weak or you are strong. Folks, you are what you confess with your lips and what you believe in your heart. And your confession of failure keeps you in that realm of failure. Your confession of God's ability in your case always, always puts you over. Proverbs 6 and 2 says, Thou art snared with the words of thy mouth. Thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. Folks, we're trapped by our confession or we're set free with the words of our confession. It's one or the other. Make your confession harmonize with the word of God. It ain't going to harmonize with sense knowledge or flesh knowledge. And don't try to make it. Sense knowledge calls it presumption or fanaticism. But what does God call it? He calls it faith and honors it. Hebrews 11 to 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not seen. God's, he's already done all that can be done for us. He says that his redemption is complete. And you confess that it is done, taking your place, calling yourself by the name that he has called you, and acknowledging all that the word says is yours. And you now declare that all God has spoken is true in your case, whatever it is. John eight thirty two and verse 36 says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Then verse 36, If the Son therefore shall make you free, what? You shall be free indeed. Glory to God, the truth will make you free. And you declare that whom the Son has made free is free indeed. And that sin cannot lord it over you any longer. That disease and sickness cannot lord it over you any longer. Romans 6 and 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you or lord it over you. Worry and anxiety can't lord it over you. Because Satan's dominion is ended, you stand complete in Christ. And you know, few of us have realized the power of his word on our lips. He said in Mark 16 and 18, that those who believe shall lay hands on the sick 
and they shall recover. Glory to God. John fourteen thirteen says, Whatsoever you shall ask or demand in my name, that will I do. Acts 3, which deals with the story of the name on Peter's lips, he said this, Acts 3, 4, and 6, Look on us in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk, glory to God. And if you don't use the name, the name can do nothing. But if you'll use the name, it will be just like the Father's name was on Jesus' lips. In Acts 4, 18 through 37, we are reminded of how the place was shaken by the name of Jesus. Now, verse 18, and they called them and commanded them not to speak, not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. That name on their lips had shaken Jerusalem to its foundation. Acts 16, 18 shows the power of the name on Paul's lips. He said this in verse 18. I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And the girl was healed and delivered. John 15 and 7 said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. And the word on your lips not only makes you free, but it sets others free. The word on your lips heals the sick. The word on your lips creates faith in the hearts of those who hear you. The word on your lips will change lives as they listen. It's the very life of God in those words. And as we know, the Bible is God's word. And on the lips of love and faith, every word is God-filled. And our daily conversations in life is the great confession. We confess Christ before the world. We confess the fullness of his grace. We confess the integrity of this revelation. Our first confession is Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Folks, we have found a perfect redemption, and we confess it to the world. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 36, Peter said this, he said, He is Lord of all. He is the Lord of the three worlds, heaven, earth, and hell. Every knee bows to that name. And with joy, we go ahead and confess Psalms 23 and 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then Jeremiah 16 and 19. O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction. Then Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And I say to the world, the Lord Jesus is my supplier. He is my shepherd. I do not want. And there's a real danger of our making a wrong confession, a wrong affirmation. And when we confess our fears and doubts, we give Satan dominion. And when we confess our sickness, that confession binds 
our wills as captives and holds us in absolute slavery. When we confess want and lack of money, then want comes like an armed man and holds us in bondage. When we confess lack of ability, we do that in the face of the fact that God said he is the strength of our lives. These confessions of failure shut the Father out and let Satan in. They give Satan the right away. These confessions abandon the word of God. They honor Satan. Well, what should we confess? Look at Psalms chapter 23 and verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I do not want. You're not afraid anymore and you confess it. John chapter 10 verse 29. My father is greater than all. Folks, our words imprison us or they set us free. Our words put us in bondage. They keep us from our freedom and our liberty in Christ. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 13 says, Your words have been stout against me, said the Lord. That's when our words war with God's word. There's always a danger of a mental assent confession. Mental assent recognizes the truthfulness of the word, but never, ever acts upon it. Its confession is, oh yes, there is healing in the word. There is salvation and deliverance in the word, but, but on the other hand, faith joyfully confesses its victory. Its joy is a celebration. It is a triumph over the witnesses of the senses. Faith gives a sense of security, of absolute assurance, of quietness. And when this breaks forth in confession, it becomes a reality. The heart must be rooted and grounded in the word and in love. Acts 19 and 20 says, So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Faith is simply the word prevailing over sense evidence. Acts chapter 20 verse 32 gives us a, a very good illustration. It says, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. It's the word that establishes. It's the word that builds. And it's the word of his grace that builds faith into the heart of the believer. Jesus's confession demands a whole lot more careful attention here. Now, I want you to listen carefully because here are 10 claims of Jesus and every one of them puts him into the class of deity. John chapter 5, verse 19 and 20 says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For what things soever he does, these also do the Son likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. <clears throat> John chapter 5 verse 43 says, I am come in my Father's name. Number 3, John chapter 5 verse 46. 
For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. Number four, John chapter six, verse 35. I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger. And he that believes on me shall never thirst. Folks, that is an awesome confession. Number five, John chapter six, verse 47, and then 51. He that believes hath eternal life. And then 51. I am the living bread which came down out of heaven. Then number six, John chapter seven, verse 29. I know him, for I am from him, and he has sent me. Number seven, John eight and 29. I do always those things that please him. And number eight, John chapter 10 and verse 10. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Then number nine, John chapter 10, verse 30. I and my father are one. Then number 10, John eleven twenty-five. I am the resurrection and the life, and he that believes on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. That's just a few of his confessions. Listen, do we dare to confess what we are in Christ and what we have in Christ? Do we do we dare to confess that John 1.16, of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace? Folks, we have received his fullness, <clears throat> but it hadn't done us any good for we have failed to translate it into a confession. Every believer knows that God laid his diseases on Jesus, yet he fears to make the confession and act on the word. <clears throat> this fear is of the enemy. And it indicates that we have more confidence in the enemy than we have in the word of God. We confess that what he says is true. Then we demonstrate it in our daily lives. There is no confession in the lives of too many people. There's a whole lot of prayer, but there's no confession that the word is true. And it's not prayer that so many of us need, but it's the confession of what the word of God says about us. And I don't mean confession of sin. You are to confess that you can do what he says you can do, that you are what the word says you are. He says that you are a new creation. Created in Christ Jesus. You ain't the old man anymore. He says that you are more than a victor. That you are an overcomer. Glory to God and believe it and say it and confess it and you will become that. He made you to be a son. He made you to be a daughter of God Almighty. An heir of God and a joint heir of Jesus Christ. And then again, Philippians 4 and 13, you can do all things in him who is your strength. What he says I can do, I declare that I can do. And what he says I am, I declare that I am. I make my confessions boldly. And you make your confession. God is my father and I am his child and as a son in his family. I'm going to take my place and I'm acting my part. I am in Christ and Christ is in me. And you remember that the Father will be to you what you confess him 
to be. And if prayer is not answered, hold fast to your confession. If the name of Jesus does not give instant deliverance, hold fast to your confession. And if the money does not come, stand by your confession. Because in Luke one thirty seven it says, No word from God shall be void of power. The word must accomplish the will of the Father. It says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I send it. Isaiah 55 and 11. You know, there's a danger of praying and then going back on your prayer. When you have prayed for some need and declare that the need is not met, you have just renounced your prayer. But prayer is answered. His word is real. Don't void the word by negative confession. Isaiah 41 and 10 says, Fear there not, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Glory to God. Now, another desperate enemy and a persistent one is our wrong confessions. Well, what do I mean by wrong confession? Well, you know that Christianity is really the great confession like it talks about in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You got to notice that it is a confession here with your lips. You have to do it with your mouth. And whenever the word confession is used, We unconsciously think of sin. It's not a confession of sin. It's a confession of our knowing that God's son died for our sins according to the scripture. And that the third day he was raised again. Glory to God. And now with my mouth, I'll make confession of the lordship of that raised one. And I not only do that with my heart, I have accepted his righteousness and I make confession of my salvation. You see, there's no such thing as salvation without confession. So Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1 becomes clear. It says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, even Jesus. Because you see, Christianity is our confession. Hebrews 4 and 14 says it. Let us hold fast our confession. What's our confession? That God is our Father, that we are His children, that we are in His family. It is a confession that our Father knows what our needs are. And He's already made provisions to meet every one of them. And it's a confession of the finished work of Christ, of what I am in Him and what He is in me. It's a confession that greater is He that is in me that he that is in the world, 1 John 4 and 4, glory to God. And it is my confession that my God does supply every need of mine according to his riches in glory. And it's my confession that when I pray, the Father hears my prayer and answers me. That's a manifold confession. And if I were sick, 
I would maintain my confession that by his stripes I was healed. And if I were weak, I would insist upon the confession that God is now the strength of my life. And I can do all things in him who is enabling me with his own ability. And if it's a problem of wisdom, I confess that Jesus has been made unto me wisdom from God. Now, I'd like to give you some don'ts in the word. Don't try to believe, folks. Just act on the word. Don't have a double confession so that one moment you confess, yeah, he heard my prayer and I am healed, or I will get the money, and then begin to question how it's going to come and what you ought to do to get it. Your latter confession destroys prayer and destroys your faith. And don't trust in other people's faith. Get your own. Do your own believing. Have your own faith as you have your own clothes. Act on the word of God yourself. Don't talk doubt or unbelief. Don't ever admit that you are a doubting Thomas because that is an insult to the Father God. Don't talk about sickness and disease. Never talk about failure. Talk only about the word. It's absolute integrity and your utter confidence in it and your ability to act on it and hold fast to your confession of its truthfulness. Christianity is called the great confession. The law of that confession is that I confess I have a thing before I consciously possess it. Romans 10, uh, chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. It, that gives us the law for entering into that household of faith. It says this, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession. Confession is made unto salvation. You see, with the heart man believes that Jesus is his righteousness, but with his lips he makes the confession of his salvation. And if you'll notice, that confession of the lips comes before God acts upon our spirits and recreates them. I say, Jesus died for my sins according to scriptures, and I now acknowledge him as my Lord. And I know that the instant I acknowledge him as my Lord, I've got eternal life. And I can't have eternal life until I confess that I have it. I confess that I have salvation before God acts and recreates me. And the same thing is true in regard to healing. I confess that by his stripes I was healed. While the disease is still in my body. But I say, surely he has borne my sickness and carried my pains and I have come to appreciate him as the one who was stricken, smitten by God with my diseases, and now I know that by his stripes I was healed. I make the confession that by his stripes I am healed. The disease and its symptoms might not leave my body at once, but I hold fast to my confession. I know that what he has said, he's able to make good. I know that I am healed because he said it. And it makes no difference what the symptoms are in my body. Because I laugh at them and in the name of Jesus, I command the author of disease to leave my body 
He's defeated, and I am the victor. Folks, I have learned this law that when I boldly confess, then and then only do I possess. Because I make my lips do their work. I give the word its place. God has spoken and I side with the word. And if I side with disease and pain, there ain't no healing for me. But I take sides with the word and I reject disease and sickness. And my confession gives me that possession. And I want you to know this fact right here, that faith is governed by our confession. If I say I have been prayed for and I am waiting now for God to heal me, I just rejected my healing. My confession ought to be this. The word declares that I am healed and I thank the the Father for it and I praise him for it because it is a fact, bless God. You remember Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7, it says, In nothing be anxious. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall guard your hearts and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. And why must prayer be made with thanksgiving? Because that means that I know the thing is done. I asked for it, and now I have it. And so I thank the Father for it. Now the seventh verse says this, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will fill my heart. I ain't worried any longer because I have the thing for which I ask. And I'm not going to get the money I need. I already have it. And it's just as real as though it were in my pocket. I'm not going to get my healing. I have my healing because I have his word and my heart is filled with joy. Glory to God. Because your confession solves the problem. A wrong confession hinders the Spirit's work in your body. A neutral confession is unbelief. And it's just as bad as a negative confession. It's the positive, clear-cut confession that always wins. I know in whom I have believed. I know that no word from God is void of power or fulfillment. I know that he watches over his word to make it good. That's the confessions of a winner. Now, I want you to notice Several facts about the relationship of confession to faith. Your confession is your faith. And if it's a neutral confession, you have neutral faith. If it's a negative confession, it is unbelief dominating your spirit. Unbelief grows with a negative confession. A a confession of failure puts failure on your throne. If I confess weakness, weakness dominates me. If I confess my sickness, I'm held in bondage by it. These negative confessions are acknowledgments of Satan's dominion over God's tabernacle. Your spirit always responds to your confession. Faith is not a product of the reasoning faculties. But it is of the recreated spirit. When you were born again, you received the nature of the Father God. And that nature grows in you with your acting on the word and your confession of the Father's perfect dominion in your body. And it causes your spirit to grow in grace and ability. You remember that your confession is your present attitude toward the Father. And in some special testing that might come to you, 
your confession is either in the realm of faith or in the realm of unbelief. Your confession either honors the Father or Satan. It either gives Satan or the Word dominance in your life. Now, you can see the value of holding fast to your confession. Your confession either makes you a conqueror or it defeats you. You rise or fail to the level of your confession. So learn to hold fast to your confession in the hard places. If the Son has made you free, you are free indeed. John 8 36. The Son has made you free. Now stand fast in that liberty. Galatians 5 and 1. That's a vitally important verse to every believer. Galatians 5 and 1 says, For freedom did Christ set us free. Stand fast, therefore. The time to make your confession is, of course, when Satan attacks you. You feel the pain coming in your body, and you reject it. You command it to leave in the name of Jesus. Romans 8, 31, 30 through 37 says this, If God is for us, who can be against us? Your Father is for you. Disease cannot conquer you, nor can the author of disease. Circumstances cannot master you because the Father and Jesus are greater than any circumstances. And you've learned in whatever circumstance or condition you find yourself to rejoice in your continual victory. And you know that 1 John 4, 4 is true. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Now notice who you are. Ye are of God. You are born of God. You are a product of his. And of his own will, he brought you forth through the word. And the rest of verse 4 reads this. It says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Glory to God. Philippians 2.13. For it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now let's turn to Romans 8 and 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. And you have to recognize this fact. All is yours by confession or it's all lost by negative confession. You get God's best by the confession that you have it. You know what the secret of faith is? That's the secret of confession. Faith holds the confession that he has the thing he desired before he actually possesses it. Since knowledge faith confesses that he is healed when the pain leaves and the swelling goes down, there's really no faith in that. Faith declares you are healed while the pain is still racking your body. Now, let me say it again. Possession comes with confession. Possession stays with continual confession. You confess that you have it and you thank the Father for it and then realization follows. Remember, confession with thanksgiving always brings realization. Because confession is the melody of faith. 
confession before realization is foolishness to sense knowledge or flesh knowledge. Abraham's faith was contrary to sense evidence. He waxed strong, giving glory to God, knowing that what God promised he would make good. Sense knowledge has no real faith in the word. John seventeen twenty three. that they may know that thou hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Now, here's some facts about our affirmations. An affirmation is a statement of fact or a supposed fact. Faith and unbelief are built out of our affirmations. The affirmation of a doubt builds unbelief. An affirmation of faith builds strength to believe more. When you affirm that the word of God cannot be broken, you affirm that the word and God are one. That when you trust in the word, you're trusting in God the Father. You affirm to your own heart that behind the word is the throne of God. That the integrity of God is interwoven into the pattern of his word. Abraham counted that God was able to make good all that he promised. God did make good on his promise to Abraham. You know what the amazing thing is? Is that he took a man a hundred years old and renewed his body, making it young again. He took a woman 90 years old and made her young, beautiful, and so attractive that a king fell in love with her. And she gave birth to a beautiful boy after she was 90 years old. It wasn't Sarah's faith. It was Abraham's faith that made this woman young. Doubt was a part of her life. She voiced her unbelief in a statement and the angel heard, heard her and she, and the angel reprimanded her for it. She retreated in fear from the angel as unbelief always makes us retreat. And when you constantly reaffirm that Jesus is the surety of the new covenant, and that every word from Matthew to Revelation can be utterly dependent upon, then that word on your lips is God speaking. And when you say what God told you to say, then it is as though Jesus was saying it himself. When you remember that the word never grows old, is never weak, never loses its power, but is always the living word, the life-giving word, and then you boldly confess it, then it becomes a living thing on your lips. When you confess that Satan has no ability to break the seal of the blood and that they overcame the adversary by the blood and by the word of their testimony, then you gain dominion. When you openly affirm that his word is what it confesses to be, the word of God, and that his word is your contract as well as your contract with him, then the word becomes a living reality in your daily life. Your word can become one with God's word. His word can become one with your word. His word abiding in you gives you an authority in heaven. Folks, this is a thrilling fact here, John 15 and 7. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. The words of your lips are the words that abide in you and dominate you. 
This visible word gives faith in the unseen word sitting at the right hand of God. The words you have in your hand carries you beyond any flesh or sense knowledge into the very presence of God and gives you standing there. Now here's a, a few uh, good confessions that you can make. He's, you can make this one out of Psalms 23 and 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And you say this in the face of the fact that want has been your master. But, but now a new master has taken over the kingdom and you whisper it softly at first. The Lord is my shepherd. Then you say it a little stronger. You keep repeating it until it dominates you. And when this becomes true in your life, you'll never again say, I want or I need, but you'll say, I have. John 6, 47 says that he that believes hath. So believing is having. And here you whisper this, my father is greater than all. What a confession that is. My father is greater than want. Greater than disease, greater than weakness, greater than any enemy that comes up against me. And then you can say with deliberate confidence, the Lord is my, is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalms 27 and 1. So God is my strength. How much strength do I have? God is the measure of it. The word says, if God be forced, who can be against us? Romans uh, 8 and 31. I know that he's for me. I know that this disease that was laid upon me has been defeated. That it was actually laid upon Christ and by his stripes I am healed. That affirmation is based upon the word of God. Upon the word that lives and abides. 1 Peter 1 23 and cannot be broken. Jesus said this, he said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. So his word is good, his word is strong, his word is truth. And if you'll start confessing it, you'll have a wonderful, miracle-filled life. Well, I'm out of time. God bless you. We'll see you again next time. God willing. Can quench my thirsting soul. Pure as water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea Though the rivers rise, I still believe For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true Oh Jesus, I trust in you darkest night what will be my guiding light the shining rays of red and white Jesus I trust in you oh, sacred heart in you I find mercy seated for all time I am yours and you are mine oh Jesus I trust in you Though the mountains fall into